It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 841 for Tuesday, December the 8th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Lockdown Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, please make sure you're finding the podcast and all your favorite podcast providers, leaving ratings, reviews. It's very much appreciated when you take the time to do that. Also, do it for the other Lockdown shows you want to support. For example, the NHL apparently is inching towards a return on January 13th. You can go and listen to Locked On Leafs with Mike DiStefano, who's got that covered for you if you are a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So go check that out. And uh, all right, let's get to today's show. It's uh, We're going to continue on with our pressing preseason questions series of episodes. Yesterday with Vivek, we dove into the half-court offense and whether or not it's going to get better, worse, stay the same, all different uh, machinations of what the offense might look like with some new personnel and new coaching. So go check that if you uh, check that out if you have not yet. Uh, but today we are diving into, I think, the question I've been most excited to talk about all preseason long. In the, I mean, it's only been two days of doing this exercise, but I believe this is going to be the topic I end up having been the most excited about as well. And it is, how good can OG Ananobi actually be this year in year four, contract year, all that stuff. It's very exciting. And joining me to talk about this very exciting player in OG Ananobi is a very exciting guest from the wonderful Pound the Rock podcast. It's our pal Joe Wolfon. What's going on, buddy? Not too much, man. I'm so glad to be here as always uh, to discuss one of my favorite topics. It really is hard to uh, find more enjoyable things these days than to talk about OG Ananobi, who rules. 
And we're going to dive into all the different ways in which he rules and ways in which he could rule even more by season's end on today's show. We're going to talk about his defense and sort of what to expect from him on that end. It's not like there's a ton of room for improvement considering he's one of the best defenders in the world, but there's accolades and stuff he can earn. So we'll get into that. We'll dive into his offensive game and the steps that he maybe started to take in the postseason and how he can apply that to a full season workload. And then we will kind of... I don't know, get a little hyperbolic, get, get some takes out there and sort of think about what OG could be by the time this season comes to an end and where his standing will be. We'll also get into his contract because that is a big thing still looming over the team with two weeks to go before the deadline to give him an extension. So, Joe, let's start with his defense. Of course, the the, the best thing about what OG Ananobi brings right now, and it's uh, it's an absolute delight to watch. Of course, last season, he was just shy of making it on the All-NBA team, uh, part of the whole cannibalization of votes that ended up going on with the Raptors. But still, even with that, he was excellent. I think he flirted with a block and a steal a game. Uh, your fantasy players out there will love that. Uh, I know that's like one of our pal Josh Lloyd's over on Locked On Fantasy Basketball's favorite things in the world is a block and a steal a game, guys. And he you know, kind of flexed his muscles, defending all sorts of positions. We knew he could scale up and guard smaller guys. We knew he was one of the best wing defenders in the world. And now, apparently, he can guard centers as well and play center. You know, the game, I think, that really kind of opened the eyes was the one against the Nuggets, where the Raptors had no bigs available. OG was by far the best option they had for Nikola Jokic. And obviously, he played a lot of center in the postseason when they went small against the Celtics. So, Joe... Based on what we saw last year with OG and, you know, what is to come still, he's only 23 years old, so there's probably some improvement still here. What can he improve? Is there anything to improve? Like, what should you, what are you excited to look at when it comes to OG on the defensive end this coming season and things that he might even, I mean, I guess terrifyingly for the rest of the league actually get better at? I think it's got to be just like the team element of defense, and I, I think that he already took some pretty significant strides in that area last season. But I think as far as being like as a man to man defender, I don't know how much better he can get. Like to me, he's already maybe the best man to man defender in the league. Um, And I think again, like as a team defender, he did get better. Uh, There was definitely way more defensive playmaking in his bag last year. Like he was swooping in to make some weak side blocks, you know, stuff like that that you weren't, we're seeing from him in prior seasons and he actually I think he had more blocks last year than he had in his first two seasons combined so that is definitely an area in which he improved but I think his reads can be a little bit quicker uh, his help side rotations um, I, I just think that like as far as as far as team defense goes which is obviously like where the Raptors bread is buttered um, there's a little bit more that he can do just as far as being like a little bit more aware, being a little bit quicker uh, with those rotations. And I mean, there's no reason like to me, he has all the tools to be like a, a an impact rim protector. You know, mm-hmm. as much as we talk about his perimeter defense and what he can do uh, in man to man scenarios, like he's the kind of guy who, you know, if you're bringing your big man up high, or if he just is sort of your nominal big man on the floor, as a last line of defense, he's somebody who I would feel comfortable with, uh, you know, being a deterrent around the rim, um, making the rotation that blows up, um, you know, a, a pick and roll when he's the low man. Like, um, I think we saw a lot of that stuff last year. And I think that's the area where he can actually continue to get even better. But uh, as far as like his wing defense, I mean, 
it's already so goddamn good um, because he has the strength and the wingspan and just like great balance and does such a good job of sort of sliding his feet, uh, staying in front of his check, making contests from behind, fighting through screens, uh, applying ball pressure, ball denial. Um, you know, he got really, really good last year, just sort of anticipating and intercepting uh, those point to wing passes and taking them the other way for pick sixes. Um so yeah, I think, you know, in that regard as a one-on-one defender, like he, he has everything that you want and everything that you need. Um, and I think it's more just like a, a, as a help defender where he can get a little bit better. But um, I, I, to me, he's already like easily one of the 10 best, maybe one of the five best overall defenders in the league. So uh, I, I'm very much excited to see uh, whether he can get better, how much better he can get and you know, whether he can work his way into the defensive player of the year conversation. Cause I don't think that should be far-fetched at all. Yeah. I mean, he obviously, like I said, was kind of a victim of the Raptors having all of the good defenders last year. And obviously no one made the all defense teams because they all kind of ate into each other's votes. I thought OG was the most deserving. I know Gasol, you know, when he was playing was a real driver of some insanely good defensive ratings and things like that. But when you factor in the game's played element, and just like the the dominance that he that he displayed, I think OG to me, again among very good candidates, was the best candidate for all defense for the Raptors. And you know, at the very least, even if he's just the same defender he was last year, you know, it kind of takes a little bit of time, especially when it's a guy who's not like a Giannis level superstar. It takes some time, I think, for people to realize, like, oh yeah, that guy is one of the five best defenders on earth. And you know, I, I feel like this will be the year where he kind of finally gets his due and gets into that discussion a little bit more, um, especially since now Gasol is gone and, and maybe there's just going to be more of a focus put on OG. I mean, I joked, I think, with you a couple weeks ago about how he's going to be all defense both at center and on the wing. Uh, so, I mean, I think he'll have a lot more opportunity to kind of flash the different things he can do on that end of the floor. And for, I mean, I think it's already clear to, like, real NBA heads, like, how insanely good he is, but maybe it'll be more of a publicly uh, public knowledge type thing by the end of the season, you know, you mentioned him as a rim protector. We should probably talk about how the small ball element will play into all of this. I mean, he's going to play center this season. He's going to play it in crunch time of a lot of games, you would think. I think it's pretty clear that between him and Pascal, he's far more sort of adept and has the skill set that kind of works for center a little bit more than Pascal does just because of how like thick he is and how much of a, of a deterrent he can be at the rim where Pascal is obviously so good and so rangy and is better sort of suited away from the ball contesting in the corners and things like that. Um, so with that, I mean, do you think, do you think there's a chance that maybe extra time at center, whether it's five, 10 minutes a game, whatever it might be, do you think that might sort of put undue strain on OG do you think he's able to handle it physically I mean it seems like he probably is his rebounding really upticked especially in the postseason where he was a monster on the glass so maybe that's not too much of a concern he's stronger than basically everybody um you know even pushed Nikola Jokic around as we talked about a little bit earlier on um you know do you think there could be any downfalls of him playing a little bit more as a nominal center for this team or do you think he's just so well-rounded and so good that it's just going to be you know kind of second nature for him to be good at that as well I think it depends on the matchup. Uh, there, there are a lot of teams against whom I, I would feel totally comfortable with him, honestly, playing center for like an entire game. You know, if right. it was against the Celtics, for instance, and he was going up against Tice, uh, or even like against Miami, like he, his physical proportions are more or less equivalent to Bam's. Right. And I think, yeah, maybe you want to save him 
a bit a bit of a, a, like you know like a, a bit of the bumps and bruises that come with banging with big guys for an entire game I don't think that it's going to come to that but I think like the big benefit obviously of having him play the five is just the switchability and if you're playing against a pick and roll team or a team like Miami where the two-man game you know running dribble handoffs through bam especially with Duncan Robinson it's like you can just switch those actions and almost vaporize them and you feel basically just as comfortable with OG guarding you know, an off ball menace or a point guard as you do with him guarding a big man. Uh, and that versatility is what makes him such a special defender. Like the Raptors can kind of plug him in any which way, like they can say, Hey, go lock down Jason Tatum. Or they can say, Hey, you know, like we're going to stick you on Daniel Tice and you're going to box him out or, you know, you're going to essentially wind up switching on to Kemba Walker and taking him out of the play. Like there's any number of ways I think that you can use them. You know, obviously if you're playing against, like a Philly or a Denver. Like I know he held his own against Jokic in that game, but that's not something that I would want for him. Like I would Mm -hmm. want to save him the strain of having to go up against a a bruising post big for extended stretches. But I think like there, there aren't really that many of those guys in the league anymore. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like I just like how many more guys outside of, outside of Embiid and Jokic, can you really think of where you would worry about the physical toll that that would put on OG? Yeah, I mean, there's like, I guess, more dive-oriented bigs who are hulking like Rudy Gobert, but even then, I think you're probably, you know, if a team is going to try to funnel things to Rudy Gobert in the post to take advantage of OG, I think you're okay with that, right? So, you're right. That's that's like, that would be playing right into the Raptors' hands, I think. Yeah. If you can... If you if you force the Jazz's kind of pick and roll oriented offense uh, into Rudy Gobert post ups, then that's a huge win for the defense, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, look, I, he's going to be so good and fun to watch this year. I also kind of wonder if he will be sort of uh, like a favorite tool of Nick Nurse because look, Aaron Baines and Alex Len will be serviceable rim protectors in a drop coverage. I'm not sure they're offering much in the way of being able to be super multiple with your defense the way that Marcus Gasol did and I wonder if maybe OG is now like all right Nick Nurse wants to screw around a little bit OG you go play center so we can have some fun kind of guy and I think uh that's going to be awesome I'm very much looking forward to it we'll get in the final segment into sort of accolades we expect him to win but I I think all defense is very much on the table for sure and he's going to stress the hell out of any players that he is defending speaking of stress I want to uh, introduce everyone to a new sponsor on today's podcast. Life can be stressful even under normal circumstance, let alone in 2020. Or if you are being guarded by OG Ananobi in an NBA NBA game, you need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. And that is Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So, whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Being guarded by OG Ananobi? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. I could imagine we'll see some players doing this meditation on the sideline against the Raptors if they are matched up against OG this season. Uh, Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down 
sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations so you can do that you can do with your kids to help you know get them mindful before the day starts as well. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. It's a lot of people. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA today. That is headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. There is no better time right now to get started with Headspace again. The best deal offered right now is uh, at headspace.com slash locked on NBA. Go there today. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax. Make your moves They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, uh, Joe, let's continue on talking about OG and Obi. We talked about the defense. That is, I think, the known quantity. The lesser known quantity, of course, is his offense. Last year, he took some steps forward, of course. Uh, career highs and points scored. Uh, in True shooting percentage, he was at 60% true shooting last year on a uh, pretty high usage compared to what he's done so far in his career. His playmaking, his assist, percent, uh, assist percentage hit an all-time high of 7.5%. And he, you know, was quite solid as a third or fourth option out there. Uh, saw, I think, in the playoffs even some more steps forward in terms of kind of improvised post-ups and using his size advantage to bully smaller dudes on the wing. Um, you know, a little bit of pull-up game here and there as well from three, as well from the mid-range. Uh, you know, in terms of OG's offensive game, obviously it's not his main strength right now. And I don't think it's going to be asked of him to be some sort of offensive workhorse for the team this season with Kyle, Fred, and Pascal likely taking on that responsibility more often. But where are you at in terms of your, your bullishness on OG's offensive upside? Do you think it's something where he can turn himself into more of a sort of go-to creator? Is he going to kind of always cap out as this sort of third, fourth option spot-up shooting guy who can once in a while put it on the deck? Uh, how do you feel about OG's trajectory as an offensive player, um, considering what we've seen so far? I think if we're talking big picture, I do think there's maybe an outside chance that he grows into something of a I, I think go-to creator is a stretch but secondary creator perhaps I think if we're just talking this coming season I, I don't see him getting there just I, he, he just has so far to go right like the efficiency is great the fact that his three ball has become pretty reliable is great and the fact that he did flash some off the dribble juice last year was very encouraging as far as his long-term development goes. But, um, I mean, you, you briefly mentioned his usage rate. 
it was at 14.3% in the regular season last year and then 13% in the playoffs. Like that is really low Mm -hmm. for like a regular starter who's playing 30 plus minutes a game. So I would expect that to tick up this year, but like to get that to a level where he is actually, you know, uh, one of your offensive creators, I I think that's just, that's too big a leap to expect to happen in one year. Mm -hmm. And you know, the other stat that you can look at is just time of possession. Like how long is he actually spending with the ball in his hands? And he was 10th on the team in that category last year. Rondé spent more time <laughs> with the ball in his hands last year than OG did. So um, th- there's just a lot, I think, that he still needs to do in order to to get to the point where he's more than like a complementary offensive piece. And again, I think there are like some really encouraging signs like for a while he's been very good at attacking closeouts with just a lot of straight line explosiveness. Mm -hmm. And I do think like his handle still has a long way to go before we can start to see him consistently creating his own shot. But I do think that was way better last year. And I think importantly, like there were some hints of horizontality in that dribble drive game Mm -hmm. where he's not always just driving in a straight line, but he actually has some side to side wiggle and is able to shake guys with crossovers uh, he busted out that spin move that we started to see become pretty effective. And you mentioned the pull-up shooting, very low volume, obviously, but you know, if we're looking at the small sample, like it's hard to say that it wasn't encouraging. He was 11 for 24 on pull-up threes in the regular season and three of five in the playoffs. So you'd like to see that sample size increase, mm-hmm. but um it's nice to see at least in that small sample that he's been really effective. I mean, that's close to 50% accuracy on pull-up threes. And so I do think like that ability is in there. I just think it's a question of comfort and trust. Like he, he just has to get to a point where, you know, he has enough reps in the rear view that he can actually trust that game and rely on it in big moments. Um, And I think, We'll definitely see flashes of that this year, but I don't think the consistency is going to be there to the point that he's going to be like a, a reliable offensive weapon. Um, and I've like kind of, I've said on Twitter that I think OG is going to be an all-star this year. I, I don't actually think that he's going to be, and it's <laughs> not because I don't think that he can be, you know, one of the 15 best players in the East this year. I actually think there's a chance that he would be, but I think players like, OG or like what I expect OG to be this season don't tend to get named all-stars because I think in spite of the positive signs on the offensive side of the ball, uh, his value is still overwhelmingly going to be determined uh, on the other end. Yeah. I mean, you could see him having like one of those dudes with just like ridiculous on off numbers who doesn't quite have the sexy scoring stats to beat out like a Trey young or something like that, which fair enough. Hey, Trey young scores a lot of buckets and that's, that's very cool. Um, yeah, I think, look, I, I hope people aren't looking at what Pascal did last year and being like, Oh yeah, well that like a, a leap from like that from OG is clearly going to happen because Pascal's like a once in a generation type player in terms of the development curve. So I think it's unfair to put that kind of expectation on OG, but I do think 
OG right now kind of has the skill set where he can be similar to what Pascal was in the 2018-19 season where he was this very opportunistic scorer. He wasn't someone with a ball in his hands all that much because it was Kawhi and Kyle running the show. But like in transition, obviously, that's going to be a spot where OG can thrive, often sort of doing it himself by getting those pick sixes that you talked about. Um, but also, like, you know, Chris Finch has talked about how much he wants this team to cut. And I think OG, that might be his best offensive skill. He's just so good at slinking into those sort of soft spaces and getting those dunks. I mean, his percentage of shots at the rim skyrocketed last year as well. He went from, let me just find the number here. Um, the percentage of his field goals that came at the rim were was 45% last year, more than threes for the first time in his career. Uh, and I think that will, should only continue to be a trend this coming season. Um, you know, the, the mid-range stuff, obviously that's like more advanced things that he'll have to work on. I'm sure they'll allow him to work on that stuff and give him some liberty to mess around and fail a little bit but I think when it comes to kind of being the dude to which things can funnel after teams kind of load up on the other offensive stars on the team uh, I, I really think OG is kind of in a great spot to really efficiently take care of that that opportunity and and be a damn efficient score you know I don't know okay but let's just kind of think about like what the potential sort of just raw production might be from him. I would imagine he played 29.9 minutes a game last year. I would assume he's going to play closer to 34, 35. He's going to be a, a real sort of minutes eater for this team. With that in mind, what do you think is a reasonable sort of per night average, do you think, from OG? You know, assuming the three-point shooting stays pretty reasonable, around 37 to 39, maybe 40% if things break right, um, and we don't see a huge drop-off. His free throw rate kind of readjusted, or her free throw percentage readjusted a little bit last year to 70% after a couple weird, not very good free throw shooting seasons. Um, factoring all that in and the increased minutes load, what do you think is a reasonable nightly stat line to expect from OG? I, this is a bit of a cop out, but I just I think it depends a lot on what the Raptors coaching staff wants this year to be for him. Mm-hmm. Because I do think there's a scenario in which they are prepared to deal with some of the hiccups that would come with putting the ball in his hands a little bit more and really make an effort to jack up his usage rate and jack up the you know the the amount of time that he's spending on ball for the sake of like getting him more comfortable in that role as like a long-term development project rather than just say maximizing him as a role player this year offensively. And I think in that scenario, we would definitely see his efficiency take a dip, but his counting stats would trend upwards, like almost kind of a mini version of what we saw with Pascal last season. And in that scenario, you know, I could see him getting up to something like, you know, 14, 15 points a game. But if he is continuing to operate sort of more in the spot-up role that we saw him in last year, I think it's hard for me to imagine him, you know, averaging more than like 13 a game. Right. Um, And like you have a lot of other playmakers on the team. That's what makes it difficult, right? Like it's hard to justify if, if the goal is for the team to just win as many games and be as good as they can possibly be this season it's hard to justify taking the ball out of Kyle Lowry's hands or Siakam's hands or Fred Van Vliet's hands mm-hmm. and putting it in OGs. Like as a guy who can attack a closeout or, you know, take advantage of a scrambled defense, like somebody who when teams run him off the three point line, is not going to be totally useless. Like I think those skills can really come into effect and be valuable, but I, I don't see him really taking on many primary initiating duties. So 
I'll say he comes in something around like 13 odd points per game. And assuming that we're going to see him, uh, you know, scale up positionally uh, and, and play some more five and certainly play a lot of four, I think the rebounding jump that we saw last year could carry over and we'll see him average, you know, something like six and a half, seven rebounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully like he was at what, like a, a steal and a half last year. I yeah. think, I think like his hands are so good that I, I think he has the capability of being a guy who's getting like two steals a game. Mm-hmm. So let's set that as a benchmark, two steals a game and something close to a block if he continues along the, the trend line of, of kind of getting those, those weak side stops at the rim. Um, I think that's, uh, that's sort of within view and that's realistic for him. Um, but yeah, and I think, you know, another thing is like, our, they started, especially in the playoffs, I think to use him more as a big offensively than as a right. wing. And I don't think that's such a bad thing. Like I- I've talked about this before, but I think he can be really effective as a ball screener mm-hmm. and especially in the pick and pop, like in the last couple of games of that Celtic series, when he was playing the five and they were using him in the pick and pop, it looked really good. Um, and that's an area where he can take advantage of his really strong stationary shooting. But also, you know, there were a couple times where out of the pick and pop, he drew that help rotation and was able to drive and make like a really nice kick out. He made one incredible closeout attack when he pulled out a spin move in the lane and kicked it out to norm for a game tying three, I think in double overtime mm-hmm. of game six against Boston. And it was just like, that play is seared into my memory <laughs> is like uh, something that demonstrates, I think what he's capable of. Um, so how, how often are they going to kind of use that approach where they're using him more as a big man, uh, a screener, somebody who can, you know, honestly like on the pop or the role, I think be pretty effective. And how much are they using him as a wing who is spotting up in the corners or being asked to be, you know, a secondary creator. Um, And I I guess another thing would be like, I think the shooting that we've seen from him, it's almost entirely stationary, right? Like they're not running him off of pin downs. They're not using him in dribble handoffs. Like, I think we've seen very little of what he can do as a shooter on the move. And maybe that's just, not a skill that he possesses right now. And maybe it's just something that we haven't seen yet. Um, but I, I think if he is going to expand his offensive arsenal, then that would be a pretty good place to start. Um, because yeah, as of now, like the, the percentages are really nice, but again, uh, a lot of them are just standstill threes mm-hmm. that he's shooting. Yeah. It's a, that's a really interesting question as to sort of what will the Raptors what, the, what approach will they take to his development this year and what approach are they taking entirely to this season? This will probably be a whole other podcast down the line as to, you know, what constitutes a successful season for the Raptors. Is it, you know, experimenting with the guys who figure to be the figureheads of the future or is it just going out there trying to win as many games as possible and having Kyle sort of have one last hurrah as, as the dude? I look forward to seeing it. I also, uh, I like the point you made about OG and sort of his skills when he's playing as the nominal big. Um, you know, the short roll passing, you know, he's not like this, you know, refined playmaker or anything like that, but the short roll passing certainly there. And just a little food for thought, if you want to extrapolate from a very small sample and get excited, as we love to do all the time, um, <laughs> per Michael Gallagher on Twitter, OG Ananobi played 175 minutes with, without a center next to him last year. 
per 36 in that time, 18 points, 7.8 boards, and 1.8 dimes, along with three and a half steals, two and a half made threes on 72% true shooting. So if he does that, he's probably an all-star. <laughs> I would like to see Ooh, it. Baby. I'm very excited. He's very, very good. Uh, I'm also very excited about our uh, other sponsor on today's show, which is Built Go, which uh, helps you get excited and help you break through the wall that is uh, just kind of keeping you locked down and not really as though it were OG Ananobi, uh, keeping you locked down throughout the day. And we're going to continue on talking about OG and get into his contract situation and a few other sort of big questions about him in just one second. But Built Go, let me tell you all about them. They are, again, the best way to help you break through the wall that we all hit at some point during the day. They're easy to take in one-and-a-half-ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, your gym bag, your pocket, whatever it might be. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's like a five-hour energy without that same crash feeling, plus it's natural, so it's better for the body. Basically, it's like drinking one of those like electric green disgusting energy drinks with a third of the caffeine and much better results, and you're not drinking a disgusting electric green liquid. Peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, chocolate, are the three flavors for you to try as well and it works really well because it combines energy gel with collagen protein collagen protein is fast absorbing so it gets into your system fast plus it's easy on the stomach built go is loaded with the good stuff to help ignite your work beta alanine b3 honey kick caffeine as well as 10,000 percent of your daily percentage of b6 and b12 vitamins collagen also promotes uh, promotes soft tissue hair and skin health this stuff literally makes you look and feel better visit builtgo.com use the promo code locked and you'll get 20 percent off of your next order again that's Promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Joe, let's wrap up by sort of taking a look at the bigger picture with OG Ananobi. Uh, first, we should probably talk about his contract, which, uh, you know... I think it seems unlikely he's going to get an extension. I think there's a couple reasons at play for that. One, the Raptors clearly want to keep as much room next summer available as possible. And two, if you're OG and you're primed for a bigger role than you've had and you are coming off the postseason you just had, if I'm OG and OG's agent, I'm thinking maybe getting paid right now is not the way to go to maximize what that contract is going to be. Obviously, there's the the risk of injury, the risk of stagnation and all that stuff. But I'm curious, Joe, what do you think is the best course of action when it comes to OG's contract from both sides? I mean, the Raptors signing him, if they get him at a reasonable number around like 15 or 16, I don't think it totally rules them out having cap space next summer to go sign a max player um, because the cap hold for OG is about nine million anyway going into next summer. But obviously, you know, as much as much flexibility as you can have is ideal. 
And, you know, again, the side from OG uh, and the, the argument from OG's perspective and of, of not signing one now is the fact that there could be a bigger payday waiting just like eight months from now. Um, what do you think about this current situation when it comes to OG? I think if you can get him for 15 or 16 million a year, like you sign that extension mm-hmm. today. I, I don't think that that is going to be feasible. I think OG is now repped by Clutch, right? He is, yes. Uh is probably going to look at what some, I guess you can call them comparable players, got on the open market this season. I mean, Jeremy Grant got three years and $60 million. And in my mind, OG is absolutely a better player than Jeremy Grant. Uh, and he's also younger. So I think that a lot of people didn't like that Jeremy con- Jeremy Grant contract. I didn't particularly like that contract as much as I like Jeremy Grant as mm-hmm. a player. Um, I, I think that that was an overpay and pretty universally acknowledged as such. But I think it would be totally fair for OG and his representation to look at that and say, like, I want at the very least Jeremy Grant money. And that's when I think, you know, his cap hold is about 11 and a half million. And so now you're talking about eating eight and a half plus million into the cap space for next summer. I think if you, if you can get him at a starting salary of like 15 or 16, then there's still a way that you can carve out that max space, but that becomes really, really difficult if you if you get into like the 20 million mm-hmm. a year range. So I think, I mean, there's still a chance that Giannis signs the Supermax and then the Raptors are just like, all right, you know, that was like going to be our big swing. And now that's off the table and like the OG extension gets done the next mm-hmm. day. But I think for now, like they've structured their entire offseason around keeping that max slot open for 2021. So it's hard for me to see a scenario playing out where an extension actually happens. And that doesn't mean that there aren't conversations going on. And I think, you know, OG and his camp are probably pretty aware of what the Raptors are doing and what their plan is. And I'm sure that they have communicated to him that they fully intend to keep him around long-term. And I think, you know, you just kind of have to hope that there's no ill will there uh, and that, you know, he doesn't feel like he's been lowballed or that he isn't being prioritized and that creates friction down the road. Uh, I guess that's always possible, but I, I find I, I kind of like I trust the Raptors front office to go about this the right way and to make sure that OG knows he's going to be taken care of. Yeah, I think, you know, it's no secret. Everybody knows it that they've it's not even just this offseason. It's the last like four off seasons they've had this upcoming summer in mind. Right. And so it's no secret to anybody what the what the play is here. And the Raptors also have a history of taking care of their dudes, regardless of when the payday comes. Like, think of a guy they haven't taken care of who they've liked. And yeah, I feel like that pattern will continue with OG. There's no reason for it not to. And if OG, you know, is signing on to be part of a team next summer that has Giannis on it, I'm sure he'll be quite happy to have waited, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think it's probably the best course of action. Yeah, like you said, if they can get him for 15 or 16, hell yeah, that would be one of the better contracts in the league, I would guess, in three or four years from now. Um, But, yeah, that doesn't seem terribly wise if you're Rich Paul. And so I would imagine we'll see see it wait out, uh, barring, again, Giannis signing the Supermax and sort of throwing things out of whack. But even then, the Raptors might have other plans. You know, Rudy Gobert is out there. There's a couple other dudes who could potentially fit if they wanted to keep that max slot for somebody else next summer. Um, So we'll we'll, uh, keep an eye on that 
for sure. Uh, I wanted to get to to close off here, Joe. Um, just the sort of what we can expect in terms of accolades for OG Ananobi this season. I'll throw out a couple awards, and you tell me if you think he'll be in the running for any of them. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year. I think, the, yeah, I think there's a good chance he'll be in the running. I think it's very unlikely that he'll get it. It's just so difficult in this day and age for perimeter defenders to get that award. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. Like, I, I don't think that perimeter defense is necessarily any more important than interior defense, even, you know, despite the fact that we're in the midst of the three-point boom. Uh, we're also in the midst of, like, the at, like the rim shot boom. Um, so I I think like there's an interesting conversation to be had about which of those things is more important. I think a lot of the time they kind of go hand in hand. Um, but I do think it's, it's kind of interesting that it so often just is big men, big men, uh, who win that award. And I guess maybe if the Raptors use OG more like a big man this season, then he could still win it in the way that Draymond, uh, you know, won it a couple of years back while he was playing a lot of five, Mm -hmm. but I think generally speaking, um, that I don't know. For whatever reason, that award just tends to skew more towards rim-protecting bigs. And I can see OG being in that conversation, but it's tough for me to see him actually winning it. Yeah, and I mean, it also tends to skew towards stars, like it or not. I mean, you know, you got Giannis is just won it, Grobert, Draymond, Kawhi, Joachim Noah, I guess would be sort of the the least starry of the last decade's winners. You got Gasol, Chandler, three times Dwight Howard, Kevin Garnett. I guess Marcus Camby would be in sort of that other second tier of player. Um, Ron Artest mm. back well, in 04. Yeah. yeah, Ron Artest, who's the guy that I really actually love to compare OG mm-hmm. to, uh, would I think be a pretty good comp. Um, I just think Kawhi, honestly, like when Kawhi won, was he... He wasn't like a superstar at that point in time. It was the 15-16 season. I think he was kind of... It wasn't like his MVP caliber years, but it was pretty close. Mm-hmm. He was getting there. Yeah, he... What did he average that season? He was like... Probably just a hair over 20. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. 20, 21 points, two right. points a game. Um. So, yeah, I... I I do think I think our test is the right comparison for mm-hmm. him, kind of at both ends of the floor. Weirdly enough, I, I know I've told you that before. You in have, the DMs, you have. But... We've, this is a thing we discuss. There's a reason you're on this episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's the path, I suppose. Hopefully, with just like a little, <laughs> a little bit less insanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So rapid fire then. All defense. Do you think he makes it? I sure hope so, man. I, I was pretty disappointed that he didn't make it this year. And I kind of understood why, just because you mentioned it. Like, I think it takes a little bit of time for uh, for everybody else to sort of catch on. And I think if, I don't know, man, like if, if the, the voting block hasn't caught on by the end of this season, then I think something will have gone yeah. wrong. Um because especially after what he did in the playoffs, I just feel like he's gotten enough exposure at this point uh, that, you know, there should be some recognition of what he was capable of at that end of the floor. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind that he will absolutely be one of the 10 best defenders in the league this year and deserve to be on an all defensive team. It's hard for me to say whether he will or not, because it's totally up to the voters, 
and you just never know. Yeah. But I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm counting on the uh, angst about the LA Clippers and the uh, the general discourse being down on the Clippers and on Kawhi. Uh, Kawhi falls off the defensive team as he probably should have uh, two years ago, <laughs> and OG gets uh gets a gets a bump up i can i think he's gonna do it he's gonna be a monster uh and lastly most improved player i've seen his name bandied about a little bit for that um may not have the numbers to do it but do you think that is in the realm of possibility i don't um kind of for the same reason that i don't think he'll actually be an all-star even if you know his his overall impact is such that he'll deserve it the counting stats i just don't think will be there and i i feel like so often that is what that award tends to be based on. And I also think like he made a pretty significant leap last yeah. year. And I don't know, did he get like a single most improved player? Surely vote? not. <laughs> <laughs> so for him to take another leap kind of similar to the one that he took last year, I mean, that would like, if he can do that, he legitimately should be in the all-star conversation. Like he he got so much better already last year that if he takes another similar leap, then um, he like he's going to be incredible. I almost think like what's working against him in the MVP and in the most improved player conversation is just that like his floor is already so Mm -hmm. high. You know what I mean? Like he's already starting at such a high baseline. Yeah, for sure. Um, I yeah, I don't think he's going to be most improved. I think uh, you know that that'll be reserved for you know second and third year players who score lots of points but he uh in terms of just like overall impact on winning i he would be in the conversation if it was about that i'm sure because uh man i'm the no one on the team am i more excited to watch than og ananobi this year it's gonna be awesome and uh this was awesome as well joe thank you so much for jumping on the show this was great do you have anything you want to promote Nothing in particular. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm you know contractually obligated every time I'm on the pod to uh, promote the Pound the Rock podcast that I do with Joe Cash over at The Score. And that's where you can find all my writing as well on the website or the mobile app. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joey underscore W. I uh, have, in the next couple of weeks, some season preview content rolling out. So look out for that and give me a follow if you're inclined excellent uh if everyone go do it uh the best podcast there is and i'm very excited for the next time you guys jump on the mic for joe cash's continuing ripping of tillman for tito uh <laughs> it's gonna be wonderful yeah cash has, has some good running gags he does That's something you can always yeah. count on uh go listen to pound the rock uh joe thanks so much for coming on man you can find me at woodley sean subscribe to rate review wherever you get your podcast it's always appreciated of course and as always uh check out all the stuff on the lockdown network we got a million things going for you in terms of tomorrow's podcast i'm not exactly sure what we'll be covering but it'll be another pressing preseason question so stay tuned for that and with that we will wrap it up there we'll talk to you again on wednesday with another episode of locked on raptors now go listen in to locked on leafs with mike DeStefano. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.